Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. I'm grateful that you've tuned in. I'm always grateful that you've tuned in, and I'm especially uh, grateful for those of you that are subscribers and uh, you that have rated and reviewed this podcast. We've been doing it about, I think, nine months now, so um, really encouraged um, from the feedback we get from you guys, and uh, you never know what you're going to get on Mavericks and Misfits. For those of you that are first uh, just now tuning in for the first time, um, the whole premise of this podcast is that um, we are breaking ranks with status quo <laughs> getting off to a wonderful start here status quo uh, Christianity and what do I mean by that it just means that I don't think any Christian should be able to be squeezed into any um, denominational box I think we need to be people of the word and the people of the spirit and if you're a person of the word and spirit you're going to um, live a life that flows more than a life that um, pools up and stays in a certain shape um, and so there's going to be times where you're going to be considered a maverick. It means you buck the system. And I do believe that um, a biblical Christian will inevitably buck the system, whatever the system may be. There's lots of Christianized systems out there, lots of denominational pits that people fall into. There are a lot of um, traditions and then the silliness of church trends where churches are trying to be uber cool and relative and cultural and all of that. Um, all that junk, man, is just um, it's a misrepresentation of who the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so um, if you're a biblical Christian who is um, walking in the spirit, you're going to be a maverick. And if you are a maverick within systems, then you're going to be a misfit within those systems uh, because the systems don't like mavericks. That's the bottom line. And so we're not advocating obnoxiousness. We're not, you know, trying to create a movement or anything like that. But we're just saying there's a large um, segment of unrepresented Christianity that is not interested in what, um, you know, tradition has told us nor what the coolest, latest trend is. We just want to know what does the word of God say and what is the Holy Spirit leading people into right now? And so if that resonates with you, that's probably why you've subscribed to this podcast. And um, as for me, I'm grateful and um, I'm blessed. So uh, I'm serving as the pastor at the church at Winder. That's the name of the church I serve. I've been here since February of 2021, and which is not a long time. But previously, I served in another assignment for um, really as a church member for 27 years and as a, a pastor for almost 25 years at that uh, previous assignment. So grateful for what I learned and how I grew and the people that are still there that I love deeply. Um, but this is a brand new season for me. And as I was praying just a week or two ago and asking the Holy Spirit to guide my heart into what I should be preaching and emphasizing from a teaching standpoint here at the church, um, I really felt like that he wanted to highlight again that he is the God of encounter. And that is a greatly overused word in the last five years among uh, especially charismatic Christians. But nonetheless, in the Bible, you're going to find out that God's not you know hiding in some distant corner of heaven, hoping nobody can catch up with him. He is a God who facilitates encounter. And we see that especially 
in the earthly life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And so in the series that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be using both Old Testament and New Testament passages and um, revealing certain types of encounters that God facilitates with different individuals. And from, from those encounters that he has with people, uh, we can learn a little bit about what does God want to do in us, for us, through us, or to us when um, he encounters us in our day-to-day life. Um, I think it's important that that we move um, deeply in in theology. It's very important to me that we have sound theology. Very, very, very important. Um, I've really built my entire ministry on trying to pursue and teach a sound theology. But you know what the danger is for people that are theologically oriented? Theology turns into theory. In other words, if all you do is learn Christian data from the Bible— and you never actually grow in relationship with the Lord, then then you become an academized Christian. You become basically a, a Bible nerd who um, isn't pressing in to know the author of the Bible. Now, hear me on that. There's a lot of people that love the Bible, high reverence and regard for the Word of God, as well we should. If you don't have a high regard for the Word of God, you're coming up woefully short of the expectation of the Lord for your life because the Bible is God's self-revelation. But for those that pursue the Bible just to pursue the data, the information, the doctrines, the systematic theology of it, and you, you remain distant in your actual personal interactive relationship with God, well, you're missing it too. Because God doesn't just, you know, want to hand you a book and say, read this. It tells you all about me. I'll see you when you get to heaven. That's not the God of the Bible. He wants to do life with you right now. And so these encounters are important. Pardon me while I take a sip of this delicious coffee, which is going to wake me up a little bit. Ah, Java. Love it. All right. So one of the encounters in scripture that I have found over the years (laughs) that a lot of people struggle with. It's only found in one place in all of the Bible. It's an encounter with Jesus that a woman has, and it's not mentioned except in Matthew's gospel, and you're going to find it in Matthew 15. I'm actually going to read these verses, so just listen to me, especially if you're driving. Don't read it in your Bible, but if you're sitting somewhere, we're going to be in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, and just listen to this because this is an encounter. It's an uncomfortable encounter with Jesus. That's basically what it is. It's Jesus um, acting in a way that we never see him act anywhere else in scripture. And it's caused a lot of people to be uncomfortable with him in this passage as they've read it over the centuries. But nonetheless, this is the same Jesus that you're going to see in every other passage of scripture where he seems to make more sense. But this one, um, will get you to think. And the question I've always had is why did Jesus interact with this woman this way? What is up? Why did he choose to do this? Because it's the one passage in scripture. I'm like, oh, Jesus acting this way makes me feel really mm, uncomfortable. So instead of talking about it, let me just read it. So it's Matthew 15 verse 21. It says that Jesus went away and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman. Okay, so she's a Gentile and she's a pagan. She's a Canaanite, the historical enemy of the Jews. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. 
All right, just pause there for a minute. So this brokenhearted mom who has no covenant access to Jesus as Messiah. She's a pagan. She's a Canaanite. She's a non-Jew. She's a Gentile, obviously. And she's got a daughter that she loves deeply who is oppressed by a demon. And she hears that Jesus has entered into her region. So she goes and find him and she cries out, son of David. That's a Jewish title that she really has no right to use because she's not a Jew. And she says, but have mercy on me. And then verse 22, so she's crying out, like she's really, really crying out, desperate, needs Jesus, has no other hope. And look at verse 23. It says, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, watch this guys, this is intense. He answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Wow. All right. Another sip of coffee before I, I run with this thing. I'm going to help you understand why did Jesus deal with this woman this way? Nowhere else in scripture do you find the son of God seemingly interact with somebody that's seeking him in a callous, detached, almost indifferent way. You won't find him anywhere else in scripture interacting with somebody like he does with this woman. And so the question that I've always had going back almost 30 years ago when I first read this is, why, why do you do her like that? Lord? Why, why are you treating this woman in this way that is so different than you treat anybody else? Well, let me tell you what we know. First of all, we know he hasn't had, you know, like a bad mood. We know that he's not sinfully in his flesh. We know that he's not suddenly loveless. We know that he didn't run out of mercy or compassion. We know that he didn't feel like giving a demon a free pass who was tormenting a little girl. And we know that he he's not uncaring and unfeeling towards this woman who has no other options. So that's what we know he, he wasn't doing. But still his actions and his words seemed really hardcore and dismissive to this woman initially. So why would he do that? And if he did it with her, is there any kind of parallel that might be in play in your life, in my life, when we need our breakthrough from Jesus? When we need our breakthrough from Jesus, and sometimes, let's just be honest, it doesn't come. Sometimes the breakthrough doesn't come when we think we need it. Uh, I'll just be candid here. I've got some something in, in my life, the life of my family, I've been praying about for a decade almost. And um, he hasn't given the breakthrough on it. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say it this way. He hasn't answered with a yes to our innumerable prayers on this issue. And um, there have been moments, if I didn't trust his heart, where I would just be like, what What are you doing, Lord? Or, do you not care? 
And I think that's the issue in this lady. And so what, what can we learn from this uncomfortable encounter with Jesus? Well, let's just go back through these verses. Can we just do a little Bible moment today? Are you up for that? Because I want to walk you through this. And I guarantee you, if you think about it, um, you may get revelation on something that's going on in your life where Jesus has seemingly been turning a deaf ear to what you're asking. Why would he do something like that? Could there be any good reason? Well, let's walk through this together. It's very clear to me that this lady has a desperate heart. Let's just talk about her heart. Let's just make it all about her heart today. So let's start off in that first verse, verse 22. She's a woman with this like desperation deeply in her heart. She was burdened. The very first thing out of her mouth is, have mercy on me, O Lord. So when a person's crying out for mercy, they're crying out from a place of brokenness, uh, desperation, and, and being burdened. It's almost in her words, you can feel like, Lord, if you don't help me, nobody else can. But she wasn't just simply burdened. Look at what she's doing. She's getting desperate to the point where she's getting religious on Jesus. She's actually borrowing a term from the Jewish religion, and she's a Canaanite. So you don't get much more opposite of Jews than a Canaanite. They're the historical you know, enemies of, of the Jews. They weren't necessarily at that point, but they had been in the Old Testament. And she doesn't have any claim to Jesus as the son of David. That is a strictly Jewish um, messianic title. And, but she borrows it because she's so desperate. That's what, you know, sometimes un, unbelievers, non-believers, you know, people that are in the world and never have any use for God until trouble hits them. Sometimes they do that. They start, you know, saying, okay, I got to, I got to pray. I got to, I got to find a verse in the Bible. Where's that Bible? It's up in the closet somewhere. Or I got to go to church or, you know, they just start doing religious stuff. And that's what she's doing. She's desperate. She's afraid. She's at her wits end. And so she's borrowing from the people of faith, this title, son of David. And then she says, why? She says, I need you to have mercy on me because my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Um, she is clear on the fact that something is more than just physically, emotionally, or mentally wrong with her daughter. But she describes it as a severe oppression by a demon. Very quickly here. Um, demons are real. Um, fallen angels who have aligned themselves with the strategy and mission of Lucifer to oppose all that brings God glory. And human beings are made in the image of God. And Satan hates that. And so do his demons. And so they're impartial about who they want to steal, kill, and destroy. And in this case, they chose this woman's little daughter. And I can't think of anything more um, barbaric than a very powerful demon tormenting um, a little girl that has no power. And no ability to defend herself, but that's just the way the demonic realm is. And so um, she had probably been opened up to demonic possession through the Canaanite ways, maybe even the Canaanite religion of her mom. And now her mom's seeing that she doesn't want to reap what she sowed, and her little girl is severely depressed by a demon. So she's got this desperate heart. But what's beautiful is if, if we respond right to our internal desperation, it can manifest itself in a determined heart. So when we're talking about this lady's heart, her desperate heart became a determined heart in that 
she's pressing into Jesus and begging for mercy. So her desperation forced her into closer proximity with Jesus. Her, her need drove her to God, so to speak. And that's the way the Lord works in a lot of people. He will let their external need get so heavy and weighted and impossible that it drives them to a place where they're willing to break free of anything and surrender anything and just, Lord, I need you. And I'm convinced I am deathly um, inadequate on my own, deadly inadequate on my own to, um, to fix my situation. And so that desperation turns into a determination. And, and so she comes to the Lord, but it says in verse 23, you know, she's pouring her heart out and the Bible just says he did not answer her a word. Now guys, that does not sound like the Jesus you and I know, but it's Jesus. It's straight up Jesus. And he's being intentional with this. That's the thing. He's not suddenly Jekyll and Hyde on us. He's not all of a sudden, Ooh, you know, Jesus has become some something different. No, he's just operating in a way that is very different than the way that we're used to seeing him operate. Because when people come, come to him all throughout the Gospels, I mean, this is Matthew 15. You got 14 chapters before this. And Jesus is healing, delivering from demons. He's raising the dead. He's doing all sorts of things. But this lady's just coming to him and he's ignoring her. He's complete, he did not even look at her in a way that gave her any hope. And apparently... She didn't walk away rejected. I love this about her. I don't even know her name, but uh, I love this about this woman because Jesus did not say a single word to her. He didn't tell her it was going to get better. He didn't tell her, hold on just a minute. I'm about to do something amazing. He didn't explain to her even why he wouldn't help her. You know, just presumably if he wasn't going to help her, he didn't say, ma'am, uh, I'm not going to help you here. Here's why you're a Canaanite. You're a pagan. You're reaping what you sow. You worship false gods, just like your people worship false gods. And hey, that's what you get. You play with fire, you get burned. You, you worship demons. You're going to get a demon possessed daughter. He didn't go into any kind of theological, practical explanation with her. He just didn't talk to her. So she's pouring out her heart and he heaven is silent. You ever been there, by the way? Have you ever been in that place where as a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you're pouring out your heart and you need God to move and God's not saying a word? I have. I've been there. I, I remember spending a, whew, it was an incredibly long season where I was constantly overwhelmed and in over my head with ministry and people problems and church issues and all that stuff. And um, the Lord wasn't going to fix it for me. <laughs> and there was a season where I'm like praying harder and more than I had ever prayed before in my life with tears and anguish and desperation. And the Lord was quiet. He just wasn't going to answer. And, uh, man, you talk about a test of faith, but that, that desperation became determination because here's the thing I love about this. You go down to verse 23 and, and it says that she, she is, you know, petitioning so much that the disciples finally get sick of her. It's like she did not quit. When Jesus ignored her, she did not quit. How do I know that? Because it says that the disciples came and begged Jesus saying, will you please send her away? She's crying out after us. He's like, the disciples are like, Jesus, if you would just answer her, it would be great because she is driving us up the wall. Like she quit talking to Jesus and started begging the disciples to do something because Jesus wasn't paying any attention. Isn't it very interesting that that parallels sometimes in a person's life where God's not moving. Um, they'll start hounding the church. They'll start, you know, they'll show up at the church door. They'll, they'll expect us as the followers of Jesus to have answers from Jesus that can help them with their problems. Um, and we see that kind of pictured here, this lady, 
is getting nothing from Jesus. So she turns to the church and saying, you help me, you do something. And for whatever reasons, the disciples either don't feel like they have permission from Jesus or they don't have the power in that moment to release that demon out of that girl. And so all of this is going on and Jesus won't answer her, but he does answer the disciples because they're saying, send her away. She's crying after us. And, and their implication is, Lord, give her what she wants so she'll shut up. And then Jesus answers and she hears this. His answer was, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Guys, real quick. Jesus didn't rush to relieve her. He didn't rush to remove her trouble. He, he actually responded in a way that was going to prove the degree of her desire for him. His initial response seems like a brick wall of no. And this is the way sometimes the Lord draws out the deep faith that he wants to see in us. The Lord develops our faith sometimes through delays and denials. Sometimes the Lord will not give us what we think we desperately need and must have. Sometimes he intentionally delays us. Um, and doesn't answer. Sometimes he's silent. Sometimes he's just not going to talk. And that right there in that moment, watch it. It's a, it's a powerful test of your faith. Because if we are children, if we are spiritual infants, if we are babies in the faith, we'll take our ball and go home. God didn't give me what I wanted. God didn't help me. God isn't listening to me. God isn't doing what I feel like I need him to do. God's not honoring my timetable. God doesn't feel compassion on me. Otherwise, he wouldn't leave me hanging like this. And listen, I've, I've, I've said all those things. I, I don't know if I've ever verbalized them with my lips, but I felt them in my heart. And Jesus is absolutely silent to this woman. And then he says, no, I'm actually sent to Israel. I'm not sent to the Canaanites. So what is she going to do? You hear that? It sounds like a no, I'm not going to help you. But watch, because she, she discerns something. Follow me, follow me with this. Forgive the alliteration, but she's desperate. Then she, her heart is determined. Then her heart is discerning. She understands there's no option. So she comes and kneels before Jesus and just says one more time, Lord, help me. That's a picture of her absolute surrender and brokenness. She's not demanding. She's not, you know, badgering. She's just broken and she's saying, I need you to help me. He's drawn out that last element, that last, that deepest layer of brokenness and surrender in her heart. And Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. So he finally answers her. He finally speaks to her, but it's not what she wants to hear. I mean, borderline. In the natural, you might think Jesus just insulted her. The Gentiles were often referred to as dogs by the Jews. And the Jews were referred to by the Jews, by themselves, as the children of Abraham, the children of God, the children of the covenant. And so Jesus says, it's just not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In other words, ma'am, you're calling me the son of David like you're a Jew, like you have any room in this covenant. And you're appealing to me on a foundation, based on a foundation that 
you don't really stand on. You don't have any covenant with me. You don't have any covenant with my father. You're not in covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you're using the verbiage. And he says, it wouldn't be right for me to honor that. Because why is he saying that? Because she's operating on some attempt to religiously manipulate Jesus into giving her what she wants. She's so desperate. She's just using the words. She's just using Jewish words to try to get what she wants. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I, I can't give you your breakthrough when all it is is just religion to you. I need your heart. I need every single bit of your heart and you're not there yet. And so he says to her, yeah, I can't give this. This is for the children. This is something precious. This is belongs in the covenant and you're not in the covenant. So I'm not going to give this to you. It belongs to the children and we don't give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, right there, 99% of people are walking away from him mad, cursing him, shaking a fist in his face, upset, furious, bitter, hating him because Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. That's most people. By the way, if you're not careful and I'm not careful, that can be us when we don't get our breakthrough, when he doesn't act on our timeline, when he didn't give us what we thought we were going to have, when the prophetic word didn't come to pass, when the vision got delayed, when uh, something that we thought was going to be forever turns out to be temporary, when we experience heartbreak, abandonment, we're ambushed by life, then the Lord didn't keep all the bad away. He let the bad happen. Do you know how many people get bitter with God and walk away when they hear the, hey, um, I'm not going to give you this right now. And a lot of people feel so entitled as if God owes us something. And so when they don't get what they want, they, they prove that their heart has always been that of a conditional lover. They conditionally love God. God is good when God gives me what I want. God is worth my love and worth my obedience and worth my surrender when God operates according to my plan. God is trustworthy when he honors my timetable. And honestly, there's a lot of people out there that feel entitled that God owes them something and that when something intersects with their life that is not according to their plan, they blame God and they get bitter with God, but not this lady. So check it out. So he's just told her, I'm not giving you the children's bread because you're a Gentile dog. <laughs> you can wrestle with that, but that's exactly what he said. And that's why I call this an uncomfortable encounter with Jesus. But look at her response. She didn't walk away angry. She didn't get bitter. She just looks at him. And she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She didn't say, Lord, I'm not a dog. How dare you call me that? She says, oh, no. You know, I have no leverage in this thing. You don't owe me anything. I'm appealing to you 100% on grace and mercy. That's the first thing I asked you for was mercy. I didn't come in here feeling like you owed me anything. But you are my one and only hope. And yes, Lord, I'm humbled. Yes, Lord, I'm broken. Yes, Lord, I know I'm powerless that I am the servant. You are the master. You owe me nothing. You hold all the cards. And Lord, I'm just telling you that if, if I'm a dog, I'm a dog. I'm not going to argue with you about that. I'm not a child of the covenant. I don't have any rightful access to you. But Lord, as a dog, I'll take any crumb you will throw my way. Let me just ask you how that makes you feel. Because we live in a day, man, where ain't nobody going to call us a dog. Ain't nobody going to send any crumbs my way. If I'm going to be at the table, I'm going to eat the feast. I'm going to get the best because after all, I'm me. You follow me? 
So the pride and the arrogance that comes with our hearts is sometimes it's so subtle and it can't um, be exposed um, until Jesus draws us out. He has to draw us out. He has to draw out our faith. He has to literally bring us to a place where we are powerless, broken, helpless. And in that moment, it's going to reveal what's in your heart. When you don't get what you want, when God doesn't honor your timetable, where your plans aren't exactly manifesting like you thought, where the Lord seems like he doesn't want to talk to you, when he goes silent on you, when he is um, operating in a way that seems to be frustrating your plans, you've got to decide, is he trustworthy? Is he good? Is he God? Is Jesus still worth you serving and following and loving and submitting? Will you still praise him? Will you still glorify him? What if he takes what is precious to you? What if he doesn't give you what you feel like you need the most? What if you've been praying a really, really long time about something and he just seems silent? Let me just ask you the question. Do you get bitter? Have you gotten angry? Do you feel like something you were entitled to has been removed from you? Um, the bottom line is, is that Jesus reserves the right to operate in a way that humbles you and puts you to the test. And the reason why is he's trying to draw out your faith. He's trying to hit the deepest place in you so he can deposit faith in there. And he's going to dig and mine down and pour into you. Um, with all sorts of challenge. He's going to shake what can be shaken so that only what cannot be shaken will remain. And that's what he's doing here. He's telling this lady, you're going to get nothing from me. And all she does is keep pressing in. I love it. And so finally we get to the end and um, he says, oh woman, great is your faith. <laughs> Now he's affirming her. Now he's blessing her. Now he's saying, mission accomplished. I've, I've done what I set out to do. I've shown this woman to be a woman of great, relentless, unwavering faith and trust. She didn't quit. She didn't get bitter. She didn't blaspheme me. She, she didn't come against me with her words when she didn't immediately get what she wanted. Why was her faith great? Why would he say her faith is great? Because remember, she's a Canaanite. I think that's part of the reason because her faith was great. Her faith in Jesus was great kind of due to what she lacked. She lacked national covenants. She lacked an individual promise. She would have lacked exposure to the truth. As a Canaanite, she would not have known all the covenants and promises in the heart of God through the Hebrew Bible, through the Torah. But she still had faith greater than many even of the Jews who Jesus came unto his own and his own wouldn't receive him. But he's, to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. And he's given this woman the right to step into the covenant. And her faith was not only great due to what she lacked as the covenants and the promises and the exposure of the truth, but her faith was great due to what she actually possessed. What did she possess? She got insight. That statement about the dogs eating the crumbs is amazing wisdom. She had insight that she had no entitlement. She, Jesus owed her nothing. She had insight and she was humbled by it. So she possessed humility and she possessed resiliency. 
Oh, here's a word for some of you. I feel the Holy Spirit on this. Some of you just need to develop resiliency. How can you ever develop endurance if God doesn't give you anything to, to endure? If you always get what you want when you want it, how, how do you become strong in the faith? You become addicted to a formula. If God doesn't change up the way he works with you from time to time, you start believing in a formula instead of pressing into the heart of God and saying, Lord, I know your heart. How does your heart manifest in this situation where your breakthrough hasn't manifested? So she possessed boldness. She possessed resiliency and she possessed expectation. And he said, oh, yeah, she's got great faith. Hey, disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, y'all come over here. Check her out. She never walked away. She didn't give up. She's been bothering us all day. We told her no and no and no, and she just kept pressing in. That's what great faith looks like. Great faith doesn't walk away when it doesn't get what it wants as soon as it wants it. And so then he looks at her and I'm done. He says, be it unto you as you desire. Ma'am, you have received what you came for. And Matthew adds, her daughter was healed instantly. So the demon left. So in, in conclusion here, uh, the woman is noteworthy because she never gave up. She didn't feel proud and entitled nor offended and bitter when Jesus operated with her in a way that isn't the standardized method that we're used to seeing Jesus use. She just kept pressing in. That's, that's one good thing about desperation when you've got nowhere else to turn. Um, you just keep pressing into God. And even if you don't get what you are pressing in for, let me just be clear here. Even if you don't get the breakthrough that you expected, when you press into God in deep desperation, you get something better than the answer to your prayer. You get to know him. You get his intimacy. You get to lose self in the light of the glory of God's sovereign goodness. And friends, when, when we treat prayer and treat our relationship with Jesus as a gimme, um, a gimme gadget, Lord, here I am. Give me what I want. Give me it now. Give me more of it. And if God always did that, you know what we'd be? Sure, you know. What do we call a child that gets everything it wants? We call them spoiled. And that's what we would become. We would become spoiled Christians. So what does Jesus do? Jesus sometimes says, nope. Sometimes he says, you're going to wait. Sometimes he says, I, I, wanna, I want you to find out if you really trust me, you really believe me. Do you want to keep pressing into this? Do you want to keep pressing into me? Do you want to be enduring and resilient and unwavering in your approach to me? And when we do, sometimes hell's power gets broken off our life. Demons flee and breakthrough comes. And that's what that lady found out. But she never would have found that out if it wasn't for the uncomfortable encounter that she had with Jesus. So for all of you that are in an uncomfortable encounter season, where God's not operating the way you expected him to operate. Or maybe he's silent. Maybe he's humbling you to the point where you sometimes feel like a dirty dog in his presence. Can I say it that way? Well, what he's doing is he's letting you come to the end of yourself. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you find new beginnings in him. And I hope you can see that by faith today. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. God bless. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult, into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. 
Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com. <laughs>